Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Okay, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. And they cast out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off the men and the women and committed them to prison. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Um, So here's the deal. Of everything we just read, uh, we could go a semester on and teach. And what I'm going to do is try to give about 42 minutes to it. Okay? So what I need to do right now is just pray, and then we'll dive into this. So I'd ask you to join me in this prayer. God, we love you and... Uh, We thank you for your word and and for the examples in your word. And we need our eyes to be open to see things from your word this morning. You're the one that does that. I pray that that happens in this place. And that hearts hearts would be pierced, that hearts would be invaded this morning, and that people would 
just see what it is to live for something bigger than what they could have ever imagined. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here we are in Acts by way of review. You guys know we've had Jesus who promises his Holy Spirit. Then the Pentecost, his Holy Spirit comes and thousands of people are coming to the faith and following Jesus. And you see this great jealousy that is growing or or maybe even just stayed there from when Jesus was around. But this great jealousy among the leadership of Israel. But along with that, simultaneously, we see great courage growing in the followers of Jesus. You see the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll read about later uh, in the Bible, but we're seeing evidence of the fruit of of the Spirit in these people who are following Jesus in Acts. And then what 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 we've looked at is that this organism, this new organization, had some issues. Maybe a better way to word that was would be to say that this new organism had some threats, and they had threats from the outside, but they also had threats coming from the inside. We need to pay attention to those threats. For example, they were given an outside threat. If you remember, they were given a gag order by the leadership of Israel, saying, hey, you got to quit. you got to quit talking about this or else. And they just didn't, and they couldn't. And then we, talk, we saw an inside threat, right, where... Ananias and Sapphira and sin was this great inside threat that needed to be dealt with, and they dealt with it. And then there was yet another outside threat that we talked about last week where they were actually captured, put into prison, and even more than threatened, they were beaten. And then here this week, we see another inside threat to this new organism, and we must take care and pay attention to even inside threats, I would charge us, Hill City Church, that we should always keep our eyes open for threats from the inside. It's highly unlikely that an outside threat would do anything to take this church down, but inside threats would. What, what is that threat? Chapter 6, we read that in the first four verses of, uh, of chapter 6. talked about complaints by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This is a true threat. Right? And the threat was actually not just simply to the widows, but there was a threat upon the widows and upon the word of God. And we know this because of how the disciples reacted. And the disciples knew that neglect of the widows or let's just go ahead and add orphans, the vulnerable, the least of these. They knew that neglect of that would greatly hinder the gospel, but they also knew that if they neglected the word of God in prayer, that that would also greatly hinder gospel growth, which leads us to this question, what, what's more important? Like serving the word of God and praying or taking care and serving the marginalized, the weak, the vulnerable. Let me just paint you a picture of a possible scenario in the great city of Springfield, Missouri. It could be that there's a group somewhere in Springfield, Missouri, and for, for now we'll just call them Bible people. Right? They do the Bible. And they probably like pronounce it like Bible. So that's, that's the group I'm talking about. The Bible. And the reality is that group doesn't even really care about widows or orphans, or the least of these. And then, the, then there's another group, and I know they're all over Springfield, and for lack of better terms, I'm just going to kind of give them a label. I know how we feel about labels. Just stay with me. I'm not smart enough for this. Let's just call them social justice people. 
And you have social justice people, like they do water wells in Africa, or they do disaster relief and they feed the hungry. All good things, but there's a group, a large group of them who they don't care at all about the Bible. They, they do care about making the world a better place. And here's what I would charge us, Hill City Church, like, if we would call ourselves Bible people, and I hope we do, and I'm not talking like Bible people, I'm talking just like Word of God people. We know, you know how we feel about the Word of God here. I think it's the most important thing we have on the planet. I stand by that. We believe it. We live by it. It guides us. It's our authority. But if that's true, and you do believe what the Bible says, then in one form or another, you will care for the widow and the orphan and the vulnerable, and the least of these. I would go so far as to say this. If you don't, now you're getting eerily close to some Ananias and Sapphira stuff. And here's what I mean by that. You cannot be the person that throws this under his arm and walks around in his Bible, 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 Word of God, Word of God, Word of God, and then not do what the Word of God says to do which is to care for the widows and the orphans and the least of these. Both matter. Both matter to God. I want us to be about both. I want us to be Bible people. But we've got to care for who God told us to care for. Now listen, and don't get in this silly uh, hypothetical. Well, you know, but if I had to pick one, you don't. You don't have to pick one. So don't even have that conversation. The disciples, the apostles knew this. They knew this was a threat. We cannot let this go and not take care of this. This will hinder gospel growth. But they knew, man, we can't neglect the word of God in prayer to do it. So the disciples took care of it. And here in this passage, we see deacons appointed for the first time. Now here's the thing. Next week, guess what you're going to do? You're going you're to see chapter 6, verse 6 play out right here on this stage. We, for the first time in the life of our church, we have had functional deacons, people that serve this church like crazy. We are going to install our first group formally of deacons. We're going to have the elders come up. We're going to lay hands on them and we are going to set them apart as your deacons. You're going to see this. That's what they did here in chapter 6. They grabbed seven Greek-speaking guys, right? Because here's the deal. What, the Hellenists were complaining, complaining about the Hebrews. Just, just so you guys know, just, okay, I'm just going to simplify this. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. So you had Greek-speaking Jewish Christians, who, and then you had Aramaic-speaking Jewish Christians. The Greek-speaking Jewish Christians' widows were not being cared for properly. And they took care of it because it mattered. They could not let it go. So guess what? Of the seven guys that they chose, all seven of them were Greek-speaking guys that took care of the business of the church. Now, what's funny is we read this passage, and the apostles say this right here, and I think I know where our minds go when we see this. Okay, When, when they're like, hey, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. right? You hear that, and you're, you're, like, you're in hula hands. Right, And you, you, you think of a waitress or a waiter. Listen, that is not what this is talking about. So just so you know, when you see these deacons up here next week, their job isn't to clean up the dishes of the church. 
Okay, when you see this here, this is a phrase used like these people would take care of the business of the church. They would serve the church. It had to do with distribution, actually not even just like bread, like of money. And you guys remember what Jesus, you remember when Jesus got ticked off, he went to the temple and, and he saw these people that were taking advantage of the poor. And he gets ticked and he grabs this whip and he just starts going to town and he flips tables over, right? The tables that were being served. That's where the business happened. So when you read this, just know, don't, don't think deacons, oh, these guys just need to shut up and get over here and serve. No, no, no. That's not what deacons do. That's not what our deacons do. It's more than that. And I think we see more than that right out of the gate when we see one of these guys in particular, his name was Stephen. The Bible says this, he was full of faith. Remember that. We will come back to that. He was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So these guys handled the business of this new organization, this new organism. And look at the result, right? The disciples take care of this by letting guys take care of the business of the church. Look at the result. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you think deacons matter? They do. They do. The word of God increased. Praise God for deacons. Praise God for the deacons here at this church that you're going to see next week. And th praise God for the deacons here in Acts, right? I just, I just mentioned one of them. His name was Stephen. We're going to look at Stephen. What the Bible tells us here is that he gets in this discussion with a group of people. Half of them I can't pronounce. That's why I had readers come up here and do it for me. But that's verse 9 and 10. And he gets into a discussion with them. And he was so good at disputing them. And I think he was good because he knew his Bible. But he also had the Spirit of God in him that was helping him. And he was so good at it that these people couldn't stump him. They couldn't dispute with him and hang. So what did they do? They started making up stuff about him to try to get him falsely accused, and they succeeded. So he got in discussion, and, and, and what they did was they twisted his words, right? Because what Stephen was trying to tell everybody is, hey, because of Jesus, like, you don't need all this anymore. Like, your way of doing things, this temple, the temple way that, that, that you live, right, this place and the practices in this place, like, Jesus knocked this out. That's what he was telling them. They didn't like it. So they grabbed him and they take him before the council, the Sanhedrin. Now before we go here, I want us to make sure we understand what was said. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This is, we're, we're always going to go back to this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So you will receive power, Jesus tells them. Why, why would they need power? Furthermore, here's, what, here's a reality. I could go out on the street right now, 
and I could go to a restaurant and I could articulate the gospel to somebody. Say, hey, can I, can, I just, can I just tell you the gospel for a minute? And, and if they said yes, I could do it. And here's the reality. It really wouldn't take a whole lot of power. What, what was Jesus talking about here? Right? Because when we think, I mean, I'd be going out and witnessing. But what was Jesus really talking about? I think it helps us if we look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 6. Check this out. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints. The blood of the witnesses of Jesus. It's the same word. It's the same word. You see, Stephen was going to need power in this moment. The power that Jesus said he would get. And it was going to be a power that was outside of himself. And there's no way he could have been a witness here in this scene without power. And you all know the ending of the story. This is the first martyr. We didn't read chapter 7, but Stephen stands before this council. And in chapter 7, I'm going to do my best uh, to summarize it. And I want you guys to go read this. Because, man, he says a lot. But, but, he, but he preached. He preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin. And, and, and here's, here's, what he, here's what he started with. And, I, and, I, and this, is, this is for us, I think, right, this morning. Because I think, I think this applies. So he goes before him, he says, in, in chapter 7, verse 1, and the high priest said, because he's, he's, he's accused of blasphemy, right? And the high priest says, are, the, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. Right? He, listen, he, he is standing before the, the most knowledgeable Bible people ever, and he starts with, hey, here, listen to me. And he, here's why, because here's what he's getting ready to do. He's getting ready to tell the smartest and best Bible people on the planet, their own story within the Bible. He's going to tell them their own story. He's like, you need to hear me. I'm going to retell you your story. Maybe in this place today, with what we're getting ready to do, the same thing could happen. That God, through whatever goes out from this stage, would retell you your story. So Stephen just walks them through their Bible. And he starts with Abraham, where it all started. Right? And he talk, and then he goes, he goes to Joseph. And he goes to Moses. And he spends most of his time on Moses. Then he goes to Joshua. He goes to David. He goes to Solomon. Stephen's preaching to them the things that they knew inside and out. But he tells them, like, listen, you know all these, all these people were types. You reject them. They were all types. That, yeah, they were, the, they were the heroes. They were the heroes of, of Israel, heroes of the Jews. They were the, the deliverers, the conquerors, the kings. But they were ultimately the ones who pointed to the ultimate hero and the ultimate deliverer and the ultimate conqueror and the king of kings. And Stephen tells them their story. He's like, it pointed to Jesus, and this Jesus came, and you rejected him. All of your Bible points to Jesus, and you missed it. What, what, what was Stephen saying? See, I say this from the stage a lot. 
Jesus is our king. Amen? Okay, so if that's true and you believe that, you should mimic and I should mimic my king. Amen? Okay. That's what Stephen was doing. How do we know this? What did Jesus say in John chapter 5? John 5, 45. This is what he tells the same group of people. There is, only, there is one who accuses you. It's Moses, on whom you have sent your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. That's what Jesus tells them. You're, you're missing me. Moses told you about me. You are missing me. That's what Stephen's telling them. You missed it. See, Stephen knew the scriptures and he saw Jesus in the scriptures. And he stands in front of the people who thought they knew the scriptures better than anybody else. And he stands in front of them and says, you missed it. You don't even know your own scriptures. Like you rejected the one who the scriptures are about. Now listen, I don't know. It doesn't go well to stand in front of a bunch of smart people and tell them how dumb they are. It usually doesn't go well. And then he ends it, furthermore, like, like, like look, look how he kind of wraps this up. These are the best, okay, okay. If you, are, if you are picturing in your mind these old, crusty, white dudes in robes, you're off. Okay, this is a, this is the most powerful group of people on the planet right now that Stephen is standing in front of. I don't even think we have anything maybe in this country that we would really compare it to. Other, I thought, okay, if we, if we just got the top, I don't know, 25 military leaders in the country and put somebody in front of them to tell them how wrong and ignorant they were. I, I don't even know if that's a good comparison, but these aren't just a bunch of old, you know, front row Baptist complainer guys. These are powerful people. <laughs> he, he, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so. Which, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and you did not keep it. That wasn't very nice of Stephen, but it was accurate. One theologian said this, because a lot of times you look at this, this thing that Stephen did, this all of chapter 7, and it's called his defense, right? Like he's standing before him and we think courtroom, he's given his defense. Listen to what this guy says, such a speech as this was by no means calculated to secure an acquittal before the Sanhedrin. Stephen knew what he was doing. It is rather a defense of pure Christianity as God's appointed way of worship. This temple doesn't matter anymore. The sacrifice, the, sacrifice, the way you guys did things, we don't need it anymore. Jesus died once and for all. We don't have to kill animals anymore. This is God's appointed way of worship. Um, they didn't like that, come to find out. They did not like what Stephen said to them. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. 
and they ground their teeth at him. Some Bible versions says they say, uh, will say that they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed their teeth. Man, these guys had lost their minds. Now look at this. But he, being Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together to get him. Any of you have kids, this makes perfect sense to you. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. That happens in our house weekly. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. We'll come back to that, but first I gotta, I gotta take a look. So I, I think it's very interesting that Luke gives more words to this sermon of Stephen's than any of Peter's. I think it's interesting that Luke pays special attention or even more attention, detailed attention to this sermon. I think it makes me perk up when I wonder why he would want. Theophilus to know more about what was said here. You need to know this, that right now in Acts is a very crucial turning point. So here's what I think. I think Israel's uh, treatment of Jesus and who he was broke the heart of Jesus. And I can go to Luke to, to, to explain what I'm talking about because there's something really funky, I think, that happens here. Not funky, let's call it interesting. But look at Luke 13, 34. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. That's exactly what Stephen said. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood on her wings, but you were not willing. Man, Jesus came to them. Invited them in. And they rejected him. And then here we see Stephen preach the gospel. Tell them who Jesus was. And they rejected him. And Stephen looks, to he looks up to heaven. And we need to pay attention. I think we need to pay attention to what he sees here. Because let me read you a few verses. And I could, I could have done a lot more. But just let me read you a few. Luke chapter 22 verse 69 says, But from now on the Son of Man shall be seated. At the right hand of the power of God. Hebrews 8.1. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. That's Jesus. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of the great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. It seems very interesting to me that here in Acts chapter 7 we have Jesus standing up. It's worth paying attention to. Because it's as if, could be, that we are seeing through Stephen and by the grace of Jesus and through this sermon that he's giving Israel Another chance. And maybe their last chance. 
Hill City Church, I do believe God gives last chances. I think we can read about it in Romans. Yes, God pursues you. Yes, the gospel falls on people's ears. Yes, God is a God who invades hearts. But Romans says that there comes a point of rejection where he will then turn them over and give them the God that they want to have that isn't him. And I think he is a God who does give last chances. I'm not a prophet. I'm not here to tell you when those last chances happen. I'm just telling you we need to pay very close attention. Maybe you're here today and the gospel is falling upon your ears and you heard it a thousand times, but you covered your ears and you've ran from it. I want you to know God is a God of last chances. You could be here today on purpose. See, Israel, they're told their story, and the call was the call that has always been repentance. Come to Jesus. He is who your Bible tells you he is, and look what they did. They covered their ears. They didn't want any part of it. They were cut to the heart. Do you guys remember the sermon post-Pentecost? Peter gets up and preaches the gospel, and it says that they were cut to the heart. The difference is those people believed. This group of people, they were cut to the heart. They didn't believe. We say this here a lot. The gospel demands a response. You don't get to partake and hear the gospel and be neutral. There is a response. There are really two responses. One of them we just read about in verse 57, and that is a willful rejection of the gospel. That's what we see. The other response is this, faith and repentance. What has your response to the gospel been? Okay, to be clear, I don't give a rip how many times you've been to church this year. That is not, has nothing to do with what I just asked you. What has your response to the gospel of Jesus been? Because faith and repentance was not the response of this group. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And, and falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So we have this young man, Saul. He's introduced. We'll talk about him later. And we have Stephen, who witnessed A.K.A. Stephen, who was martyred, died for the gospel of Jesus. All this started with threats, and then it escalated to some beatings, and now the jealousy and the anger so overtook these religious people that they became murderers again. You know what's funny? I told you, man, we got to mimic our king. That's all Stephen did. In his sermon, he just mimicked his king. He said what Jesus said. You know what's funny? In his death, you know what he did? He mimicked his king. 
Surely you perked up when you heard what he said. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What did his king say on the cross, Father, to your hands? Oh, he didn't stop there. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He mimicked his king. In his sermon and in his dying, we have to ask ourselves, like, who, who won here? Like, who, who came out on top? I do think there's this element of, as we see Jesus standing. I do think there's an element that, yeah, it shows that he's ready to receive Stephen. And it's crazy to think of the peace that passes all understanding because I don't understand this. How do you have such peace in death that you say, Lord, do not hold this sin against him? And don't listen, he wasn't on a hospital bed when he said this. Like rocks are bouncing off his face. When he says this, where do you get peace like that? Because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. That's where you get that peace. And it's crazy because we kept reading, right? We went into chapter 8 because it seems like, oh, this is horrible. This is horrible. And then we keep reading. It's like it went from bad to worse, this young man Saul approves of his execution. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church. And it goes on to say in verse 3, But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged men off and women, committed them to prison. Right? And at the church in Jerusalem, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here you see God getting his purposes accomplished. When on on its face it seems like this this is horrible. So here's what I want to do. I just want to give you some practical points. As we, we've looked at this, there's so much here that we didn't get into. I just want to give you some practical points that I want you to take with you. Stephen told a room full of church people that they were missing it. Could it be that in 2020, the Holy Spirit could tell us, a bunch of church people, that we could be missing it. And if you go back to Stephen's sermon, we didn't look at it. Man, he's going through the story of Moses and explaining part of the reason they missed it. Part of the reason they missed it in the Old Testament, right? And it was this story of them uh, uh, building this golden calf with their hands and worshiping it and then thinking they did an awesome thing with their hands when they were worshiping idols, The reason they missed it, the reason the church people missed it was because of idolatry. Now listen, I don't think anyone in here worships a statue. I highly doubt you're worshiping statues, but idolatry is a very real thing in this room. It is. It's more subtle. What is it? 
What is it less than Jesus where you're getting your ultimate joy? What is it that's less than Jesus where you're getting your identity and your worth? What is it that's less than Jesus where you're getting your ultimate satisfaction? No, you did not build a golden calf, but you are worshiping an idol. That's how church people miss it. Second point, this is very important. Deliverance is not always promised. Let me reword that. Deliverance in this life is not always promised. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. We've seen this in Acts. They get thrown in prison, yeah? And then an angel of the Lord goes and unlocks it, lets them out. They were delivered. Yeah, they get a beating, but then they get to go hang out with their friends and they were kind of like they rejoiced about it. No death, they were delivered. But then all of a sudden we see Stephen who, what did, what did the Bible say about Stephen? What was he full of? Faith. He was full of faith. Which means this, if you are not delivered in this life, it doesn't mean that you lack faith. The Bible doesn't teach that. Listen, sometimes people are healed from cancer, and sometimes they're not. Okay, sometimes you get to have biological children, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you get freed from depression, and sometimes you don't. But based off what I see from Stephen, it doesn't mean that you lack faith. Deliverance in this life isn't always promised, but deliverance is promised. Who won that day? And Stephen saw the face of Jesus and he, he fell asleep. And then, you know what? I mean, I, I know how it ended. He woke up with Jesus. He was delivered, just not in this life. Third point. You are not going to have to die for Jesus. I just don't think that's going to happen. Okay, maybe there's a scenario here where the Lord reaches down and calls you and you, you, you're just, you just know you've got to go to Afghanistan to preach the gospel. Okay, maybe you'll die for Jesus. You're not dying for Jesus at Missouri State. Most of us, it's just not going to happen. But what would it look like for you to finally live for Jesus? I am not talking about coming to church two Sundays a month. I'm talking about living for Jesus in a costly way. Has living for Jesus ever cost you anything? Because I make no, I, I do believe this wholeheartedly. Stephen, as he was preaching, when he was doing this, there were two options. There were two options. These guys are going to repent and follow Jesus or I'm going to die. But he did it anyway. He did it anyway. He said the hard things. Hill City Church. And if you're, this isn't your church and you're visiting, I'm not talking to you. I'm not. I'm not your pastor. I'm glad you're here. Come back. Hopefully this is your church one day. I'm talking to Hill City Church. Are you willing to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done for the sake of the gospel, no matter what it will cost you? Because here is what it will cost you. Probably not your life. It will cost you family members. 
Like the turkey's not going to taste the same on Thanksgiving. I can promise you that. It's going to cost you friendships, like lifelong friendships. It's going to cost you business partners. It may cost some of you a job. It will cost you. Are you willing to do that? Got 3,000 college students, and here's what they're being challenged with this weekend, and I think it's worth challenging us as we look at the life of Stephen. See, we got a church of young people full of ambition, a lot of them climbing ladders in their place, and, and ambition is a good thing. I hope, I hope you're ambitious. That's a good thing. Selfish ambition is not a good thing. What we're wanting is that for you to reorient your ambitions so that they become holy ambitions. Because here's what I think is the reality of this room. I'm not so sure this room is just, I don't think this room is just full of wicked people. I think this room has its fair share of wasteful people. And I'm not so sure those are as disconnected as we might think. So Brad, what are you talking about? I think we waste what God has given us. And in the end, it'll, as you look on it, it'll look like a wasted life. But here's what I mean. How about time? Do we waste time? And now listen, I'm getting ready to tell you something. It's an indictment on myself, and you might want to go find a different church after I tell you this because you might think I'm disqualified. I'm just going to tell you, I waste time. Here's how I know this. I could probably quote you more lines from the office than I can the book of Ephesians. Like I, I know more lyrics to the Avert brothers than I do scripture out of 1 Corinthians. Why? Because I'm a wastrel. And this is convicting. We waste our talent. Man, this room's so full of talent. Some of you have talent. I'm, you know, there's a talent. I didn't even know it existed because I grew up poor. But, like, there's, people have a They know how to. They just make money. They're talented at making money. God didn't give me that. I mean, I wish he would have. But, like, there are people that just accidentally make money. You know, that's a gift from God. But you could waste. Stuff, man, this we, all of us have so much stuff. I don't know. I, I'm convicted as, as I could possibly be, so i got to ask you guys the question because I want misery loves company. When's the last time you, because I'll tell you, it's this week and the week before and every second I'm studying this sermon. When's the last time you have felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit about how you're spending your life? It's like, well, I don't, I don't guess I've ever... I don't remember that ever happening. That worries me for you. You guys know how much I like Tim Keller. He, he tweeted this the other day, right? Here's what he says. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. It's idol worship. And it's a reality in the church in America. And it could be that a lot of church people are missing it. 
Let me end with this. So this guy, Saul, if you haven't read your Bible, this is a spoiler alert. So Saul meets Jesus. Uh, gets, he, he, he's one of the greatest missionary uh, pastor evangelists of all time. And here's what he writes later on, right? He says, he, he writes this, I have it right here. So, so indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the same guy who had the coats laid at his feet and watched Stephen's face get crushed by rocks. Same guy. You're not going to have to die for Jesus. My question to you is this. Is he really worth living for? Say, Brad, I come to church. I mean, I come to church. That's what I, listen, quit it. Is Jesus worth living for? You get one of these. Let's pray.